On this month's episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror, we are talking about Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. It has everything. Bill Paxton, incest, a pickled head, and gallons upon gallons of milk. <laughs> That's excellent. It's excellent. <laughs> Bill Hader would be so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> metaphors <laughs> on metaphors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the girls who cried be horror. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to our September episode. I am, as always, Alex. And I am Anya. And today we are joined by a very special guest, our first ever guest on a main episode and the co-host of Podcast Love Portions, Cornelia. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I am an actual listener, so what a dream. (laughs) I fucking love our fans. (laughs) And I think uh, I think I'm here for the right reasons and for the right occasion. So I'm ready to I'm ready to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that you know that when I watched this, and I mean as the highest compliment, <laughs> I was like, absolutely nobody could talk more intelligently about the contents of this film than Cornelia. <laughs> well, you said I just remember it was first brought to my attention because it's like Cornelia, forgive me if we have this wrong, but you're a fan of incest, correct? <laughs> <laughs> And yes, I would consider myself an incest advocate of sorts in in storytelling (laughs) form. Um, And I don't think it's ever been a bad thing, except maybe, like, I think Kaiser Wilhelm had a weird crush on his mom and maybe that worsened the effects of World War One. But like, besides (laughs) that, it's a perfect, it's the spice of storytelling. I see nothing wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I think Hitler's dad was also his uncle, but like, you know, other than that. Uh Oh, The tragic effects of inbreeding. (laughs) Uh, Wow. I think we've all seen this movie multiple times at this point. Yes. Correct? Um, I guess I would love to just know your first impressions of this very, I think, underknown cult classic. Um, I had never heard of until I was just like one day browsing Shudder with Greg and I was like, what is this? This poster (laughs) is everything. It's a boy with no shirt on with a girl behind him and the a knife with the reflection of a woman's eye. I was like, yeah, that's all I need. I don't care what the plot is. I'm putting it on. And it exceeded my expectations, personally. Um, both times I've seen it now. Um, but I know, I think I told you, Anya, to watch it after I saw it. Correct? Yeah, I remember it was like, literally, I just like got a text, I feel like, at night. And you were like, oh my god. And as we've said many times on this podcast, we are always, obviously on the podcast, but even not on the podcast, like, talking about horror movies we're watching. I'll watch a bunch, make a list for Alex, whatever. But, like, not that this was random, but, like, it, it was to a certain degree, like, this text in the middle of the night that's like, okay, I just watched this movie on Shutter. You have to watch it because I'm definitely going to make us do it on the podcast at some point. And I had never heard of it as well. She just put it on Shutter, and I was like, okay. And I think, honestly, maybe either that night or the next night, I was like, Roberto, do you want to watch this movie with me? Because Alex yeah. is, like, saying that we have to watch it, whatever. And we watched it, and, yeah, I went in completely blind. I was like, I don't know what this is about. Um... And nothing can fully prepare you, but, like, in the best way. So, yeah, it definitely it, – it's definitely an, a less-known cult classic because, obviously, we had never heard of it. Um, but that's why we're doing the Lord's work today and bringing it to the attention <laughs> of the community. <laughs> and then, of course, I went and told Cornelia, I was going to – Cornelia, we're going to do this on the pod, and we're going to have you as a guest when we do it. So 
you definitely have to check this movie out. Totally. Yeah, and I had never heard of it either, but it's definitely, like... I'm a huge Susan Tyrell fan, the mm-hmm. main actress who plays, like, you know, the starring uh, Psycho <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. the 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 uh, the Nightmare Maker in question. I assume is what it's referring yeah. to. Um, I mostly know her because she's from a lot of like other weird like arty cult stuff from like the same era. Like, um, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Oingo Boingo fan, and she plays Queen Doris of the Sixth Dimension in the Forbidden Zone. So it's kind of like, ugh, yes. <laughs> I'm already very much on board. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah, I know she was in Crybaby, and I know that she... I mean, was I like, knew her from... She's Midge yeah. in Big uh, Big Top Pee Wee. Yes. But I don't think I had, like, really recognized her when I saw it, and I just immediately... The first moment she's on screen, I was like, what is this woman doing? This performance <laughs> is already at a 10, yeah. and I am so on board. It, it reminds me of, like, what the aunt in Sleepaway Camp thought she was doing right 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 but this is this is the drama this is the acting that i want especially in this kind of like super campy weird yeah she's political like the successor film. the successor to like uh to um when faye dunaway was like uh, joan crawford and mommy dearest mm-hmm. and like betty davis and yeah uh whatever happened to baby jane it's just kind of like oh she knew what she knew she yeah. she happily continued the relay god bless her. yeah yeah it's a full force performance and i i think it's like one of the best performances i've seen from an 80s horror film just in general i'm sure we'll talk about it her face is so wild and her eyebrows are so yes. small <laughs> and long yes <laughs> loved it oh, love all she's a very it. expressive face she she really like even when she's not speaking if she's just in the background her eyes tell you everything you need to know yes yes it's incredible um, would you guys like to learn some background before we jump into talking about the movie? Always. I would absolutely love to know. Okay, well, Anya, why don't you give us um, a brief uh, synopsis, if possible, of this film, because there is so much happening for anyone that has not seen it. Yes, I'm going to try to brief it. <laughs> and yes, for anyone who has not seen it, as we said, it is streaming on Shutter. if you'd yes. like to give it a watch, and we highly recommend that you do. Um, because you, this is a movie you don't want anything spoiled for you. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially the premise is there is a young boy whose parents died in a tragic car accident um, when he was just a toddler. And he is then under the care of his aunt. He is now like a teenager. Um, but it's very obvious within the first about 10 seconds that um, she's down astronomically bad for this <laughs> motherfucker. Um and thus the whole movie trying to like keep him within her grasp as he is trying to get a basketball scholarship and go to school. And in an attempt to keep him within her grasp, she ends up committing a, a murder against the TV repairman, which then he has to help her cover up. But then there is a homophobic uh, police officer who is trying to uncover the truth while being, as I said, outrageously homophobic. Um, And then, of course, near the end, it all comes to a head because her psycho has been building the entire time. And Billy, right? That's his name? Is it Billy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or is it something else? No, it's Billy. Billy, um, yes, has essentially caught on to her her dark ways. So now they have to have a final head-to-head. And that is the briefest synopsis I could give you of Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. That is a pleasantly (laughs) spoiler-free 
yes. uh, synopsis because there are so many twists and turns that happen throughout the film that like you might pick up on pretty quickly if you're you know at all you know used to this kind of narrative but mm-hmm. it's just it's just so worth it the reveals are so good <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. And even the reveals that aren't in the plot, there's certain mm-hmm. like acting choices and certain like very little details where you're like, where you're like constantly kind of like <laughs> on your toes for mm-hmm. for the little the little surprises along the way. Yeah. yeah. It is absolutely not a boring film in any way. It will keep you entertained the whole like hour 42 or whatever it is. It is oh, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So, okay, Night- Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, which, you know, there are no butchers or bakers in this film, so I'm not really quite sure where they got that name, but it has a good <laughs> ring to it. Uh, it was released in 1982, and it is rated R. Uh, it was directed by William Asher, who at the time was one of the most prominent, like, early TV directors uh, and producers. He was most notably known for directing over 100 episodes of Bewitched and I Love Lucy, which I just find so fun because, like, this movie is full chaotic, <laughs> incest, you know, drug-infused milk and homophobia. And it's like, oh, this is the guy who made I Love Lucy. Like, it's so, so strange. Um, but I think his, uh, his background really helps with this familial drama. Um, and he was mm. also married to Elizabeth Montgomery, who played the lead witch in Bewitched for, like, 10 years. And they divorced a year after Bewitch ended, which I thought was a fun fact. He was married four times, so a baller. <laughs> a true baller. Um, the film was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Low-Budget Horror Film. Um, and it was up against other well-known cult classics like Madman and Alice, Sweet Alice. But mm. it ultimately lost out to a movie I've never heard of uh, called Fear No Evil. Do either of you know that movie? No, no, no. I don't either. But now it makes me want to check it out if it beat out all those three. All the other ones, I know. Yeah. yeah. But Susan um, Tyrell, as far as I know, because I peeked at her Wikipedia page, was mm-hmm. also like I think she was not a staple at the Saturn Awards, but I think she has a Saturn Award for like Andy Warhol's one of oh. Andy Warhol's films. So I'm glad that this is the sphere we're <laughs> playing yeah. in. I love that. Um Let's see. Well, if you like this movie, uh, I can recommend a book of the same name that was uh, released around the same time as the film. uh, And it's described, according to IMDb, as um, a much more descriptive and complex story that has multiple side plots um, involving a lot of secondary characters. So it's a lot more fleshed out. I mean, any kind of novel will be more fleshed out than a film. But it Mm -hmm. seems like they really take a lot of, like, right turns in a story that already has a lot of them. So <laughs> it makes me want to find that book and totally. read it immediately. Yes. Um, I thought this was very, very interesting. And maybe I'm just being a bitch. But at the time of filming, Julia Duffy, who played the love interest of Billy, Julie, who was supposed to be 17, she was 30 at the time of filming. Whoa. Which I was like, <laughs> you don't look 30. At, like, good for you. But on the flip side of that, Susan Tyrell was 37. Oh, my God. And I'm like, damn. I love you, bitch. But that's like, that is a rough 37. I'm going to hope it was a lot of makeup. And, you know. I mean, I'm familiar with Julie Duffy from her work 
on the Lifetime movie mm-hmm. uh, network. She's in a movie from the 90s called Menu for Murder, which is pretty wild. Ooh. So, like, I think Julie Duffy's no stranger to being a little peculiar, but um, I don't know. I think she's really great in this role. Oh, yeah. She's really, really good. I know her. I looked I'm her up familiar and... with Julie Duffy mm-hmm. because she plays the English teacher that hates Drake yes. on Drake and Josh. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> That's how I know her as well. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know how old Aunt Cheryl is supposed to be in the film. Um, I mean, I guess it could make sense that she's 37 because Billy is 17. So, you know. I think he's 17, could... right? He turned yeah. 17. Yeah, he's oh, turned 17. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that could be, that would make sense. But I just, I think instinctively, just because of how, like, wild she looks, I thought she was probably in her, like, 50s. Yeah. But then again, maybe I'm just being a bitch and yeah. I will say, I think when she has like the shorter hair, mm-hmm. it's so funny because when she gets the shorter hair in the movie, she's like, makes me look younger. <laughs> it like absolutely does not yeah. and has the reverse effect. Because I, I remember thinking this time around when she has like the norm like the I don't want to say normal as someone with a fucking shaved head, but like the longer length hair. Mm-hmm. Um I there was moments where I was like, not that anyone was saying she was ugly, but I was like, she's quite pretty. Like, yeah. even though she's a fucking psycho, she's quite pretty. And then she fucking lobs the hair off again. And I was like, <laughs> girl, why did that age you, like, 20 years? Yeah, it's true. She has a hot bod, too, because she shows her titties at one point. Yeah. And I was like, look at you. Good work. Looking good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and as I mentioned in the um, opening of this film, we do get a young Bill Paxton as well, <laughs> who <laughs> I love. Um this was a very early role for him, and he was actually originally considered uh, at, for the role of Billy, the lead role. But ironically, at the time, Jimmy McNichol, who ended up playing Billy, was a bigger known actor. <laughs> he was a bigger known star than Bill Paxton. So they were like, we want the name recognition. We're going to go with Jimmy. And I'm like, who the fuck is Jimmy? But who the fuck was Jimmy McNichol? What, was he a TV star? I'm not really sure. Let me, let me double check. I, think I looked him a- up. I didn't know him from a single thing. It was definitely, like, a TV, like, I think he was just, like, the go-to kid you had on TV. Yeah, I think he was, like, a child star at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, he had been a child star. Yeah. What I wouldn't give now, though, to have seen Bill Paxton and Susan Tyrell really go (laughs) head-to-head. Oh, my God. That's the thing. I feel like, yeah, at the time, sure, like, it's one of those, like, funny things where it's, like, Mm -hmm. little did they know, the star in the making, Bill Paxton. But if it had been Bill Paxton, I do think that this would be a much more known, I feel like. Still a hidden gem, but, like, people – it would be more talked about as a cult classic because of just, like, who Bill Paxton became, even just individually as a horror icon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that also when he pops up in the movie, you're immediately like, holy shit, it's Bill Paxton. And he immediately has – it's, like, the face recognition, but him as a performer immediately has more, like, presence about him. And I don't – I don't think it would have been as believable because Jimmy McNichol <laughs> as Billy is kind of, he's kind of like a, an attractive dweeb, but he's a little like, yeah, this kid wouldn't notice or he would put up with yeah. like a lot of shit from the, his aunt, quote unquote. And I don't think, I don't see Bill Paxton being quite as um, passive, I guess. <gasps> oh my God. I just had a realization. Um, not quite related, but yes related. Um, to Jimmy McNichol <laughs> is I think I fa- I finally found 
what my drag race name would be if I was a drag queen. Spit it, and out. it would be Jamie McNip Jamie McNipple. Yes. Good for you. So it, it, only the real ones would get the reference. That's yeah. really funny because mine is Areola Spritz. I love that we both went nipple related. Yes. I mean we have great tits. Everyone on this call has great tits. Yes. I want to say it for the audience that can't see them. Wow. Because I love that. we're talking about it, I have to throw in mine and it would yes. be Noelle Debouche, and she's always throwing some sort of like heinous holiday party. Um, I love that. I love that. Oh, like I love that. She pretends to be French, and she's always throwing like a, a very bad party. Wow! I can't wait to go to those parties. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, this holiday party. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do kind of wish in an alternate universe I could have seen a Bill Paxton-led film, just because I think. With, like, his performance ability and Susan Tyrell's, it would have just been, like, fucking chaos even more than it already is. <laughs> but you do need Jimmy's kind of yeah passive, sedative presence, I think, to balance her out. Um, let's see. Yeah. Well, I mentioned briefly that, you know, there are no butchers or no bakers in this film. Uh, so I don't really know where they got that name. But there have been so many titles that were bounced around for this film so i wrote down a few of them um well first around like the the world and like the uk and other countries there are a lot of different names as a lot of horror films are in general um so Mm -hmm. a few of the ones that were in english that i thought were fun were the evil protege uh thrilled to death and just simply mrs lynch and i was like those are all fine I mean, they don't have the campy appeal of Butcher Baker and Nightmare Maker, but. I feel like Mrs. Lynch makes sense as a title, Mm -hmm. but like Evil Protege, like. Yeah. Who, the protege would in turn, I guess, be Billy and he's not evil. No, he's not. Yeah. None of those are particularly specific to, Mm -mm. to, uh. What's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Although I am kind of considering, because of course I had to Google like the nursery rhyme like the rub-a-dub-dub three men in the tub. I don't know if it's supposed to be like, oh, it's supposed to be a gay love triangle happening. Like three men rubbing, subtle, oh. subtle. And it's like, I don't know, William. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little possible. bit of a stretch. The, um, well, in the U.S. as well, there were other names. They originally were going to call it Mother's Dead, which, again, <laughs> I, I mean, I think eventually, spoiler alert, we learned some stuff about the heritage and the lineage of Billy and his his parents um so that would not really work I don't think um but it was originally called Mother's Dead before they went through a lot of other options and they eventually landed on Butcher Baker but then it was re-released uh I think a year later and they renamed it to Night Warning which is now what it's it's known pretty widely as and if you look on IMDb the poster is night warning but again like you guys were just saying the tagline has nothing to do with the film because the tagline on the poster says they didn't oh yeah they didn't go looking for trouble they were just too curious now they know too much to live and i'm like that's not the plot of the film maybe that's like the last 20 minutes of the movie but like no yeah it's like a it's such a stretch i mean i would think this was probably a marketing nightmare yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's that classic like we came up with a tagline before we came up with a plot of the film and we just stuck with it yeah yeah, yeah. very charles know. band 
They should have called up VC Andrews people and being like, how does one <laughs> market <Yeah. laughs> family <Yes>. incest horror? <laughs> it is a very niche subject. Um, well, that's another last... good point to make about Cornelia is Cornelia is also a little bit of a VC Andrews. I don't know if I would say expert or if you would say expert, but definitely the person I know that knows the most about yeah, VC Andrews. I... Yeah, I'm in no way, I don't, because they've been putting out these books. She's been dead for, like, 40 years, and they're still, like, writing installments of the Flowers in the Attic series. Um, so I haven't gotten to all of it, but in in terms of, like, um, like mid-century American Gothic things that play into family secrets and, uh, you know, intergenerational turmoil, I think V.C. Andrews is a is a pro and I'm here for it. <laughs> That's a very specific knowledge set that is going to come in very helpful for this episode. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, the last little bit of info, because because this is such a small film, it was very hard to find like actual information about it other than through IMDb. So most of this is just the, the trivia page of IMDb. Um, but Bo Svensson, who played the police officer that everybody hates, um, was injured while filming his death scene because the one of the blood squibs that they put on his chest for when he got shot exploded inward into oh. his stomach instead of outward. Mm. So he got really badly burned. And I was like, ooh, that's oh, no God fun. damn. No. Wow. Very, very scary. Um, but yeah, that's all the, the weird little background info I could find on the film. I think the film itself is more interesting than its production which you know yes i'd I'd much prefer so i guess we should just jump right into it um let's see well i mean i think the biggest thing to talk about from this movie is its portrayal of homosexual characters and the way that the police and society in general respond to people in the gay community because at this the time of the this film coming out it was right around the time when AIDS was becoming prevalent and they didn't really it wasn't even called AIDS yet at that point there was like a gay panic happening in <clears throat> society and so it was very unusual for a horror film to come out like this that is very clearly you know on the side of the LGBTQ community who have you know they have characters who are representative of a lot of people at that time but you have billy who is very much an advocate for the coach who is a gay character who is also at times you know there is some implication that he might be bisexual he might be gay we're not really sure it's never really fully addressed um but this film could easily have gone into a lot of standard tropes about gay people especially at that time and it just did the exact opposite of it which I think is amazing. Uh, what do you guys think about the way that they handled that topic? I mean, yeah, I think it is really interesting. Not that there's <clears throat> gay people at all in the film, um, but yeah, the way it was chosen to be handled because it definitely felt obviously like a purposeful choice to have that be part of the plot because it becomes such part of the plot because when essentially what's-his-name bad police officer um, <clears throat> essentially thinks that Billy is the one that committed the murder 
it's because he thinks it's motivated that like, oh, well, you were secretly having an affair with your basketball coach whose husband this was that was murdered. So you like plotted like together and like you had a lover's quarrel or like this whole fucking thing. Um, so it becomes a huge pivotal part of the plot. But yeah, I, I think it's really, it's interesting in the way, yeah, that it, it chose not to to go in a, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like an offensive or I don't even know that's the right word but essentially the only person here in the movie other than crazy aunt which you have to discount everything that she's fucking saying and doing anyway um is um the police officer who like is continuously like making this about the fact that they could mm-hmm. possibly be gay and he clearly like doesn't like gay people he's using the f slur like on one scene it's like literally like fucking 10 times in a row and it's like yeah. we got it we got it guy um but yeah, Billy stands up for his coach when the police officer asks him, like, did you know essentially that he was gay? He's like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> literally, like, fuck off. Um, and, and I think it's just, it's really nice that it's like, it's not even like they're like, oh, well, like, Billy's so innocent. He doesn't even realize, though, like, how, like, evil the homosexual community can be. Because they have these wonderful scenes of Billy, like, talking to his coach in the locker room by himself. Like, even after the murder happens, where, like, the coach is like, listen, like, I'm going to have to, ret- like, resign. But, like, you know, he clearly cares for this kid. And then at the end, spoiler, y'all, when he kills crazy auntie, who's, another spoiler, actually his mommy, um, that... He, the first person he calls is the coach. Yeah. And he's like, I need you to come help me. So yeah, I think it's wonderful how it's portrayed. I I really enjoy it. Uh, it. In a movie, especially this, where it's like, this movie could have been fun and great if they just did the crazy Aunt Cheryl the whole time. Mm-hmm. But they also added in that other layer where you're like, damn, y'all are doing everything. Yeah. And I think, I mean... They Aunt Cheryl is obviously like the main antagonist of this film, but in a way, because they they kill her off, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes before the film ends, and then the big final showdown is between Billy and the police officer, and he has to choose between you know his coach, who is supposed to be like this evil figure of like the gay community, and this police officer who's supposed to be you know the righteous you know arm of the law. He kills the police officer and he stands up for his coach and it's kind of like comes together as like the real villain of this film is this homophobic piece of shit (laughs) and you know we win hell yeah yeah it's um it's kind of at least remarkable considering how much like the f-slur gets thrown around and how like very easily they could have like just because this was made in like the early 80s like how Mm -hmm. easily they could have slipped up into like something that would not you know hold up today I don't know if this movie had an agenda but it is kind of like if whether they lucked out or if somebody behind the scenes was just kind of like no I want to do this in an objective and not in like a prejudice way because it does like stand up for its gay characters and it punishes like the hom- the homophobic ones, yeah. which I'm kind of like, wow, like, cool. And I, I think that because a lot of the undertones of this movie are, like, policing se- sexuality, like, particularly with the teenagers, um, mm, yeah. which is why I really love that, like, love scene that's in the middle of the movie because it's, like, the least grotesque thing in the whole movie, whereas <laughs> normally, like, like, uh-oh, like, teens on a twin bed, like, someone's going to get, <laughs> <laughs> you know, impaled by not each other um but yeah (laughs) it's i i 
really do love the uh the more the the dynamics between the characters and relationships and their it's a uh, it's quite contemporary it's i'm very proud of it i'm like good yeah. work guys <laughs> it's very ahead of its time i think in that way um because there's so many opportunities where they could have like easily just made the coach like a one note kind of character they could have had him do like anything to like like the coach in nightmare on elm street too like he's not really a likable character and he is you know the main like gay figure in that film aside from um obviously the final boy but they they just like the entire time this coach is likable he's kind he is Mm. always willing to be there for billy in a very platonic very like like platonic friendship kind of way like there's never any kind of undertone he's kind of like a father figure yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and i think they could have easily gone in another way with that and it's it's refreshing to see especially in the 80s that they were on like the right course in that way i also think it's it's not interesting but it it also goes on to everything we're saying where like even if someone's going to argue you know well like susan tyrell in this movie is also evil and she did commit that murder so like the homophobic police officer is right in the sense that he's trying to investigate it and he knows that she's lying but they even include a whole other police officer Mm -hmm. who essentially like is doing his job the way he should he also knows that things are adding up but he's not targeting you know the gay community in order to just like solve this case he's doing research on uh, Aunt Cheryl discovering that like things about her past don't add up including like an ex-boyfriend that like was never seen again um so like he also like evens everything out I mean mm-hmm. he's there he he loses a hand at one point he but he he sees it through to the end and so yeah like you're saying like everyone gets like the ultimate punishment that is homophobic that we see which is the police officer and Aunt Cheryl um everyone else other than, I guess, like, the unfortunate victims, um, lives to see the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another obvious, very um, prevalent theme in this film, I guess, would be the incestuous nature of Aunt Cheryl's relationship mm. to her son, Billy. Um, and just the, like, it's, it's so not subtle, in any way and i don't think it's meant to be it's from like i think the opening scene after the after the big opening scene where he's like a small child and we see his parents get killed she wakes him off to the races start yeah they they really just jump in (laughs) the movie just starts that's the the thing and it's just happening yeah like she's walking through a through the front door and she's holding a baby billy and screaming is already taking place i do just like I noticed it on my third viewing that, like, it kind of, not, like, foreshadows this very well could have not been intentional, but baby Billy, who's supposed to be, like, three years old, and Susan at the beginning both have, like, the same blonde, like, bowl cut. So, like, when (laughs) she's holding, like, her quote-unquote nephew, I'm just like, oh, well, they're the ones that look the most alike out of, like, everybody here. Like, it's true. I see you, William Asher. (laughs) I follow. Yeah, it really... It takes off right away. You get like an immediate car uh, car scene of like the brakes not working and them weaving in and out of like the Pacific Coast Highway. And then, of course, you know, the car lands in a body of water. And then after like and 10 seconds, it explodes. <laughs> yeah. 
of course because that makes sense after a log going through the windshield yeah. after they get fucking final <laughs> destination yeah. yeah it's a you know yeah it's it really kicks off at a 10 um but then she it cuts to present day where he is now about to be 17 and the first moment that you see them together is her going into his bedroom to wake him up and he's like i mean he could be fully nude we see him from like the top up and he has no mm-hmm. shirt on and she's like caressing him and purring into his ear yeah <laughs> it is so uncomfortable she just finds a condom in his wallet yeah she was she had to have been looking for it i don't know i also love it when you first see her in the present she's sleeping next to an open flame <laughs> <laughs> She has a wicker headboard, and I'm like, okay, automatically this bitch can't be trusted. <laughs> so telling, so telling. Like she does not have her priorities straight. But you must love the interior of her house, Cornelia, because you are such a fan of wood paneling. That is half of the notes that I wrote, is that <laughs> she owns my dream house. I love, I think she's a cottagecore icon. Um, oh my god, yeah. All the wood paneling, the stained glass, she has this like mushroom wall hanging that I was like searching on eBay for. Um, I love all of it. I think it's amazing. This this woman like needed Pinterest and we could have like avoided a lot yeah. <laughs> of like this plot, but you know, dream dream house. The texture of this movie is beautiful to me. Yes. But anyway, back to the incest. Anyway, my other favorite thing to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> back to what Alex was saying, which was laundry listing the incest. I mean, yeah, it, it starts out with that and it just doesn't stop from there and it's just so obvious the whole time where it like literally then like he wakes up and we're like okay like maybe she only does it like when he doesn't he's not conscious right she's like doing creepy shit behind his back no 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 no. this is to his face she's like making breakfast and they're talking and whatever and it like seems slightly normal at first like she's like mad like you have to get ready for school and like she's mad that he's like drinking from the carton and not a glass or whatever but then he's like oh can I invite like my essentially like my new girlfriend to my birthday dinner that, like, no one else is even going to fucking be at. Like, let this bitch invite one person to his birthday. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm going to be your date to your dinner. And you're like, sis, give it up. Girl. <laughs> but it's that just like girl. that the whole time. And then obviously a shit, it literally. And then as it goes on and she's, like, drugging him at points, it just gets, uh, there's one scene in particular where they're like, I think it's, it might be after the sex scene, I, I think. I'm not sure. She, like, kicks out the girlfriend. She's like, get that slut out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the slut lives, by the way, which I love about this movie. She does. Yes. She, Billy's about to get in the shower, and she just throws open the bathroom door. And he's standing there butt-ass naked. <laughs> and the thing about it is, like, all right, we already get this behavior from her, but he must be so used to it because he doesn't even, like, flinch. He doesn't even try to, like, hide or be like, what the fuck, I'm naked! Like, that would happen now. Like, I feel like in a movie, and that would be, like, the funny part of it. Like, he literally just, like, stands there, and they're just, like, having this argument as she, like, comes right the fuck into the bathroom, cheeks out, dicks out, like, no remorse for any of it. And it's just, like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) The boundaries in this house are non-existent. (laughs) No. Um... I just always think of that fucking vine. This house is a fucking nightmare. (laughs) I want to counter that with another vine that kept popping back into my head while watching this is like, "Mm, so no head. (laughs) Smash. (laughs) Um, 
just um you you watch it three times the decapitation um Mm -hmm. motif really jumps out to you yes yeah absolutely um so cornelia what is it about incest stories that really tickle your fancy i'm so glad you asked um i well obviously i think vc andrews should be a pioneer of this at least in my um evolution of you know I just think it's such a balls-out way to twist about a plot. Um, I like that (laughs) they're hard to come by, but usually if that's the twist of the movie, like, I'm not going to forget that. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a... Oh, gosh. I mean, it's hard to, like, rattle off, like, this is what you need Mm -hmm. to know for, like... (laughs) These are your go-to incest movies. Yeah, a lot of them are are spoiler rich, but um, it's so forbidden and it's so like Mm -hmm. obviously I'm not I'm not advocating for this in real life (laughs) because in reality it's an abuse dynamic. But like you know, murder one could argue is the result of an abuse dynamic, and clearly that's what a lot of entertainment's built on so i just think mm-hmm. you know equal opportunity to all the, the <laughs> to all the abuse to all the abuse and all the the spicy the i <laughs> um it's always unexpected and i i like it when people commit to that kind of you know twisted mm-hmm. way of thinking especially what i love about vc andrews is that she's kind of subtle enough if anyone doesn't know vc andrews wrote flowers in the attic and my sweet audrina which you know notoriously are like the brother and sister sleep together in the attic um but she does it in a way where there's enough details and she leaves enough out that it kind of turns you into the pervert being like well what Mm. else is like going on if this is how (laughs) yeah this story is playing out so um you know if it turns it back on your own imagination thank you very much Mm. i will take that yeah yeah i mean this film wouldn't really be able to exist without that plot element to it because all of her actions are you know driven because of her like deep obsession with her son in a problematic way and even in like her death scene at the end in her final like breath of life she just like plants a kiss on his lips and then falls down like onto him and i was like wow the dedication that this bitch feels to be with her son in that way stabbed through the gut and she's still like give me a kiss well i think it's i mean beyond like obviously her being like you know it's fun to watch this psycho go at it Mm -hmm. and you know, as Cornelia's saying, like, this, like, crazy twist plot device of, like, and she wants to fuck them. Like, it's already just, like, so much. But what I will say, once again, in favor of this movie and, like, either intentional or unintentional, like, subtle things it's doing is by making the twist, yes, sure, it's a twist just on its own. Like, oh, my God, and she's the mom. She's Mm -hmm. a real mom. It also works in, I think, to the incest thing because, at least I felt this way, because they keep showing pictures of this boyfriend, essentially. That left, which then the whole twist is that's the real dad, and she has this fucking dead body behind a wall in the basement, uh, and his head pickled in a jar. <laughs> she um, loves pickling. Loves it. But Homemaker. I kept thinking, I was like, he kind of looks like Billy. 
even before the reveal, I was like, he kind of looks like Billy. So then in turn, it becomes like, oh, well, one, it makes sense. Like, he looks just like his father. But then I feel like that also plays into the fact why she wants to be with him so much. Because, like, his Mm -hmm. dad, her original lover, like, tried to leave her and obviously now is dead. So she needs that, like, surrogate replacement lover but also she wants to be a mother so why not wrap it all into one just get you know two birds one stone so for all of the the oddity of this movie there's a method i feel like to most of the madness here which you don't yeah. always get especially in like campy 80s movies like sometimes it's just like and we just did this random shit because we could it reminded me so much like re-watching susan tyrell's performance as aunt cheryl that like, she's kind of a spinster in a way, and she has this nephew living with her that she's in love with, but, it, like, the twist is that she's also her son, and she has this lost love, and, like, it would... She is the villain in a way, but I was noticing that so much of her behavior is just, like, that way you are when you're, like, losing your upper hand in a relationship and all dignity goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah. very much what, yeah. like, her... What at least I was picking up on the way it's like, okay, so she has no shame, like, pawing at her nephew. She's can't let go of this old relationship because his body's in her basement. <laughs> like, right. the way she throws herself at the TV repairman. I'm like, this woman just, like, is bored and probably, like, horned up. And I kind of felt for her in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, wow, what a... Yeah, her life's hard and I don't love how she's... Um, dealing with it but like we've all been there <laughs> oh yeah we we've all cut the brakes on our sister's car yeah like you, all, you do stupid stuff when you're like in love and your love is getting away from you yeah no right right right. yeah I mean all her actions are very much out of desperation I mean she kills the her sister and her husband her sister's husband because she is afraid that she's going to lose her son to them and you know she has to do everything she can to protect him and keep him with her and then the whole film it's just her doing what she thinks is the best thing in order to not lose the one person that she still has in her life and I think that's what why her performance is so fucking good because there is that like side of her that is clearly you know tapped where she's (laughs) there's so many scenes where she's just like walking down the stairs and she's like full on talking to herself (laughs) and like having a conversation with herself or she's like in the background like rolling her eyes like viciously and I'm like she never stops there's never a moment where Susan is like okay I'm just gonna like sit in the back of the scene and take a break she is on all the time and she's never really seen like outside of her house just at the basketball game at the basketball game right yeah Um, yeah but yeah she's clearly like there's attachment issues with this woman and I think she's lonely and that's really sad I think something that's really interesting about her character as well and it kind of comes back to that initial moment of murdering the TV repairman is that like for all that she's doing um and you know she's saying like I can't let Billy leave like I need him she is a woman that like and it could be in turn because of maybe this past relationship or whatever she desires power she mm-hmm. refuses to, in, I guess if we were looking at it from a positive spin, she's a woman that refuses to essentially be, like, belittled or, like, put down because of the fact that, like, she needs to have control over Billy. Like, beyond the, yeah, I want to fuck him, she still, as I said, wants to be his mom. Like, she wants to have that, like, he, yeah, I, he, I need him, but, like, he has to need me. In turn, and I feel like it's a pivotal moment, obviously, for the movie, is 
when she invites the TV repairman over, we kind of like learn later when she's monologuing to the fucking dead body in the basement. Um, you know, talking like it's still alive, like our son. Um, she says, like, you know, I just, essentially I invited the TV repairman over because I needed Billy to see that I needed him. Mm-hmm. Like, make him feel like he can't leave because I need protection. So it seems like the plan was have the guy come over, then do the whole, like, titties out, I fuck me, please fuck me, and he's gonna, you know, either do it, and then I'll cry rape, or he's going to, what happened, you know, struggle against me, but it will still look like a struggle. But she says that... He, when she throws herself at him, and essentially then he's like, okay, Jesus, you want me to fucking be with you so bad? Suck my dick. And she's like, you're a pig. And he slaps her. In that moment of slapping her, like, fully it feels like taking away her power in that moment by, like, mm-hmm. hitting her like that in, in general, but also catching her off guard by that. Then the rage kicks in because that's when she stabs him. She literally says, like, I wasn't going to kill him. I didn't mean to. But then he hit me, and I was so angry. So it's just, like, another moment of, like, how dare you question her power and her authority because she doesn't turn on Billy violently until the end when he mm-hmm. questions essentially like I'm not going to listen to you as my guardian or even more explicitly as my mother anymore like you're fucking crazy like and then it's like well then you know the, if I can't have you no one can bullshit and like yeah. then I have to kill you or like whatever um even the fucking <laughs> girlfriend when she comes over and she's like get out of my house and she's like which, if she had just left, it would have been that. It would have been like, okay, Jesus, I'm leaving. But she literally is like, no, I'm not leaving until you hear what I have to say. And then Aunt Cheryl, like, switches and is like, oh, sweetie, will you get this from the fridge for me? I'm like, I'm so crazy right now. And then, like, literally takes, like, a fucking, like, mallet to the back of her skull. Meat cleaver. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really interesting that the whole time she's playing this, like, obviously, you know, this ditzy whatever, but, like, acting, almost even convincing herself, like, no, no, I, I need him. I need someone to take care of me. When in reality, like... She is the one taking care of everything. And if you dare, like, try to usurp her of her power for even a moment, it will be a fatal flaw on your part. Yeah, I mean, it seems like she has so many different motivations with her relationship to Billy, too, because there is obviously the incestuous implications of, like, she clearly wants to fuck her son. Like, it's very obvious. But at the same time, when she moves him into the attic... She decorates his room with, like, all children's toys. Yeah. Like, those little, like, block things you build and, like, teddy bears. And she's drugging him, like, very, um... The poison Munchausen by proxy. Very... And, like, yeah, and it's, like, so now she wants to care for him, but she also wants him to take care of her, but she also wants to have a sexual relationship with him. It's very... It's also wrapped up in itself that I don't think she even knows what the fuck she wants. And she just spirals. She's so good. I meant to say also in my fun facts, I often skip one by mistake and then realize later that uh, after they filmed this, Susan Tyrell refused to watch it because she thought it was going to be horrible. (laughs) And so she didn't see it until 2008, which was a few years before her passing. But in the end, she really enjoyed it. Oh, as she should. I'm happy for Susan. Yeah. It would have been a shame if she had never gotten around to see how iconic she is. She, I mean, yeah, I'm shocked that this doesn't have more like, because um, I just keep thinking of like Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford mm-hmm. and Mommy Dearest, but it's just kind of surprising that there aren't more like drag renditions of this. Like, yeah, oh yeah, like uh, I could, I mean, she's already has like an incredible face for like, you know, replicating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really, I don't know. 
Her facial expressions in this are yeah. really stunning. <laughs> I would lose my fucking mind if someone did Aunt Cheryl on um, Snatch Game. It would be I, an incredible Halloween costume, and now I'm kind of, like, mulling it over. Yeah. I mean, her eye, she already has drag queen eyebrows. She absolutely is, does. Is, and the cheekbones is what I'm trying to, like, get at in her, yeah. her little outfits with the with the aprons and whatnot <laughs> yeah and the physical transformation that she has in like the third act because the first two acts like she has like the eyebrows she has her her beautiful you know feathered hair that she's always brushing and she has her beautiful outfits and she she feels very like extravagant but also very like spinstery still mm-hmm. um but in the third act when she chops all her hair off she like starts dressing really like haphazardly and like she has like a hunch and she's just like <laughs> yeah she, she, she goes like a the, little Nosferatu. Which yeah, is, yeah. She's like that old choice. woman who like has like a broom and is like hitting people to get out of her house. Like, <laughs> yeah. she really, she really falls deep <laughs> by the end. So I feel like I don't know which version of her I would even want to do if I was going to do one because they're so they're both so iconic for me. I mean, I love her when she kills the TV repairman. She has like the pink dress with like the mm. flower in her hair and like her dress is unbuttoned a bit and then you know obviously the blood (laughs) the blood comes into play but like see that's gorgeous (laughs) this is art well something i noticed about that scene and maybe it was i just missed something it's like once again like a little bit of like that crazy like editing because like she's getting ready and then immediately like he's like leaving the house like so i guess there he was doing it while she's getting ready and then she's just immediately like hey will you fuck me you're just like oh okay this is happening um (laughs) But she, they show this scene of her, like, because, listen, she, she told Billy, like, I don't know what the fuck she told him. She told him she wasn't even going to be in the house while this guy was here, but, like, obviously she is. And she's getting ready, and she's, like, painting her toes or something, but she's, like, in this, like, blue dress. Mm-hmm. And then when it cuts, which is what is a little bit jarring, is she's in, like, a pink dress all of a sudden. And I'm like, was this the same day? Like, what, what, <laughs> when was this? And, like, you can use context clues to be like, okay, I guess she, like, changed outfits before she came down. But because of how quickly they cut, and there is no, like, okay, now she's walking down the stairs right as he's fixing the set. Like, no. Like, he's, like, packing it up, getting out the door, and she's just, like, there all of a sudden. That it's like, wait, did someone fuck something up? Or, like, am I, am I tweaking? Just more of the chaos of yeah. Aunt Cheryl. I mean, and she looks beautiful in that scene her hair her makeup her dress she does i think that's like i mean the entire interrogation with the police officer after that scene is so infuriating for like a million reasons but something that like really stuck out to me was the fact that he blatantly to her face was like i don't believe that he tried to rape you and because i don't believe at that point that he knew he was gay and i feel like no he didn't he's just implying like he would like no one's gonna try to rape you like, it's so fucked up on, like, so many levels of, like, I just, it's infuriating. The first time I saw this, I was, like, not sure if I was supposed to like this character, and I was getting real angry. <laughs> yeah, they imply that, like, oh, it can't be rape because, like, her clothes aren't torn. He didn't even get his dick out. Oh, my God, that was the worst. Like... When they said poor guy, like, didn't even get his pecker out. I'm like, what do you mean poor guy? <laughs> but I also love that. I mean, obviously, we kind of know poor guy because, like, he didn't do anything. I don't care. But, like, yeah, they know. Yeah. I wrote um, down that line just because it made me laugh a lot when <laughs> the delivery of it is like, poor guy didn't even get his pecker out. How are the twins, Joe? <laughs> just, like, immediately. <laughs> like non sequitur he's like oh they're fine like we're 
that didn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah, this movie is very anti-homophobia, anti-cop. I live for it. Yeah, I don't think I much think of it was intentional, but I I love it either way. Something I feel like it's easy to forget because obviously all the, at this point then it's like we're really moving at this point. Like, okay, now there's a murder in the whole movie. Essentially mm-hmm. at this point is like the cover up the murder and blah, blah, is that this was Billy's birthday. What yeah, a was. fucking shit ass birthday <laughs> to have. Like already you can't bring your girlfriend because your aunt wants to suck your dick so bad. <laughs> Like, she's like, no, that's my job. And then you show, so the underwater party is going to be your aunt that wants to fuck you. And then your aunt's friend, Margie, and her husband. Yeah. Uh, which I will talk about Margie later because what a fucking literal <laughs> yeah, fucking me legend. Too. Legend. Um, but then you show up, literally coming home, you're like, okay, fuck, it's not going to be the best birthday, but, it, you know, whatever. Walk, not even, oh, you're in the door for a few minutes and some shit happens. You walk in and your aunt has just stabbed someone. Her tits are out and she's covered in blood. And yeah. like, she rubs happy blood. 17th birthday. Oh, yeah. I love that she grabs Margie and puts both her hands on the back of her shirt and then just like, oh, yeah. smears handprints. It's so great. That shit's not coming out. She like throws herself. There's like still a knife in her hand. Oh, well, the knife might be in his neck, but yeah. there's just like a still of, like you could take a still out of this movie where she's like thrown herself at her nephew at Billy blood all over her. She's like rubbing it. Like she's holding his face. Like she wants <laughs> yeah. to like, kiss him, but his face is like, Oh God, like gross. And then the, all the blood that's in mm-hmm. the mix. I'm like, yeah, like it's perfect. It's all, it's all you want. And it delivers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's fucked up. Cause like, even if she wasn't intending on murder, she was still actively like, I'm going to plan to fake a rape accusation on his birthday. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, you couldn't wait another day. It, ha- it had to be that day. No, she had to make sure too much time had passed. He was already so far out of her grasp. Yeah. <laughs> I have a small question I could ask before we go to the Q&A. Okay. I was reading some articles about just, you know, this film and people analyzing it. And a lot of people mentioned the excessive use of milk. Because that's something that really stood out to me. Yes. Because just in general, I think, I, I mean, I enjoy drinking a glass of milk if I'm eating like cookies or something chocolatey, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to drink a full glass of milk for dinner, personally. Um, I just, just like, don't trust people that do that. If you're a just child, maybe, but like people that are grown and just like have a glass, and I know people that do it, and you know what? Love you, but something's wrong with you. Like... Just drinking straight up milk from the glass, I would sooner vomit in my own mouth and swallow it again. Yeah. When I was younger, my I hated going to my Nana's house because whenever she would make dinner for us, she wouldn't let us have beverages. <laughs> it was really weird. She was like, no, it's going to fill you up. And I was like, but I'm thirsty. And she would say, fine. It's going to fill have, you up. She was like, fine, you can have a glass of milk. And so if I went to my Nana's house and I ate like a fucking turkey dinner, the only oh. drink I was allowed to have was milk, and it, like not even water. Me. Nope, milk. <laughs> milk would fill you up more than water would. Yeah, I don't. I think it's just like an older person thing of like really, really believing it's good for the bones. Um, but yeah. it's such it's such a specific character trait that Billy is obsessed with milk. That for me, it was just comical. I just thought it was really funny. But a lot of people were talking about how like it's you know the mother's milk, and it's you know a way of pushing her on him even more and how like also the implications of like maybe he's gay and implying that like you know a boy raised by only a single woman is gonna like become gay like all of that is intermixed 
in a more like analytical way that I don't know if that was their point or if they were just like milk can be drugged and therefore we're gonna have it be milk mm-hmm. yeah no there it's definitely like playing into the role of motherhood I guess like there's the motherhood illusion there's that one scene where he like very deliberately pours milk on Bill Paxton yeah and yeah, Bill yeah. Paxton just like stands there for it and <gasps> they like, which I was like that's gay like maybe he is kind of gay <laughs> like what was that <laughs> um but I always find in movies just brief pause Go ahead. and this happens in some movies where like the two feuding whatever the fuck girls guys whatever and there's always that scene at lunch where it's like hey bitch blah blah like so many, like even great movies do this and every time I'm like why where like the other person picks up and it's usually like a milkshake or some mm-hmm. shit yeah. and they're like oh well then tell me how this tastes and they don't like fucking like chuck it really quick they slow as fuck are like J- I swear to you on my whole <laughs> fucking life if I saw a bitch even remotely lifting her arm to pour some shit on me I would have that shit slapped at her hand and my fucking <laughs> knuckles in her teeth in two seconds like I, every time I'm like you just want to stand there and let them pour. It's yeah. so staged in the movie. And if you, like, are watching their facial expressions, at least Bill Paxton, it, it almost looks like it's a kink thing. Like, he almost looks like... <laughs> He's, like, like, into it a little before, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before they start fighting, which, um, you know, love love a moment that's kind of... I just like moments like that that at least make me ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, about the milk thing, I've definitely because I went to film school. Um, there's definitely conversations about, like, the roles that, that like, if a character is drinking milk in a movie, it's usually either to infantilize them or, on the flip side, it's supposed to be, like, very sinister, like, a la, um, like, Clockwork Orange, like, the milk bar, and Anton Chigurh drinks milk in No Country for Old Men, and it's kind of, like... You were just killing people for no reason. So now I'm a little, I'm more concerned than I was before. Um, But then I guess on, I don't know why this example comes to mind. I think in uh, Catch Me If You Can, um, Mm -hmm. Frank Abagnale asks, like he's on a date or something and somebody asks him what he wants to drink and he says milk, which is supposed to be like, ah, he's almost outed himself as a fraud because he's a child because he's <laughs> he's out of his element he's young like i've i've heard those arguments um mm-hmm. this i think is on a very different level where it's very explicitly like dependency on the mother and then like mm-hmm. the poisoned milk being the mother is <laughs> dangerous but yeah it really is a very common motif throughout the whole film where like it opens up with him drinking that milk and it it like becomes such a sinister thing with her drugging it i do love the idea that like this boy is so obsessed with dairy that right before his big game where he's asking (laughs) he's gonna be like scouted by this college that he wants to go to he's like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna chug a full (laughs) glass of whole milk before i run around a basketball court (laughs) For, like, an hour and a half. It doesn't make any sense. Also, the drug that she uses, I'm very curious what it is because he drinks that glass of milk and then presumably makes it all the way to school, warms up with his team, and then plays, like, four minutes of the game before eventually passing out. And then later on, he takes, like, a sip with her and he's like, oh, I'm so... And he passes right out. Right, right. Yeah, I think also just, like, the 80s and, like, the dairy councils of the 80s were probably, like... 
That's you were just, required. It was a different time. Yeah, <laughs> the, every film was required to. <laughs> they they had to uh, focus on one dairy product. Yeah, exactly. I personally hate milk. That's a personal stance. Uh, I only use it for baking. I literally will not imbibe it any other fucking. Yeah, way. she doesn't even eat, have milk with cereal. This I'm a I dry know. cereal eater. <laughs> That's um, wild. So try drugging me, bitches. Try it. <laughs> Alright, um, at least you're not one of those people that puts apple juice in their cereal. Oh God. Ugh. Like but literally. Was... Oh well, now I'm just. Con- I don't know. This is really <laughs> relevant. Milk was also like, in theory, like not poison control at one point. But if you drank milk, so people, I think in like chemistry and stuff, it's like, oh, this will, you know, counteract the poison you just. Oh, accidentally really? took that i think that's is it like when you eat spicy food and you're supposed to drink milk yeah yeah stuff like that that's um, what i was gonna say the only time you'll ever catch me in this lifetime drinking a fucking glass of milk even then it would take a lot is when i'm obviously inevitably really fucking famous and they have <laughs> to bring me on hot ones um and i i like to convince myself i like hot food but then literally cornelia and i had like spicy chicken sandwiches the other day and i was like <gasps> <laughs> this shit's really hot um so i would not make it that far yeah that would be the only time you'd see me um drinking any milk but yeah i think what you said what was being said i i completely agree with whether yeah at this point it's like we don't really know if it was intentional or not this like motif of you know I think the milk was. and motherhood i mean i wouldn't put it past them just because it feels like as i was saying earlier there's a lot of little things that are put into this movie that then pay off later or, like, mm, yeah. work into character things. And it's, like, I don't want to just discredit and be, like, well, it's a silly, campy 80s movie. So, like, no. In Milk specifically, there's nothing, like, zany about Milk. So it feels like to put it in that often, yeah, feels like on the one end doing the whole, like, she is the one that continuously is giving him the milk, this, like, mother role. And at the same time, like, she is continuously trying to infantilize him, to, I mean, sexualize him as well, but also infantilize him to make him, like, her son, her baby, he has to stay here. So, yeah, like, the milk thing. And as you were saying, yeah, the drinking the milk <laughs> right before the basketball game, get the <laughs> fuck out of here with that. Y'all are on one. Uh, but I do think when you were saying that, like, the second time or whatever she drugged him, it was, like, when Margie was over. Yeah. She had put in, like, she all, did of, all of the, like, drug at that <laughs> she point. She really so was all, like, I'm knocking his ass out. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. One sip and he's gone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with the milk statements that were presented here today. <laughs> Incredible. I guess on that note, then, uh, we should move on to our cue and slay. <laughs> all right. Well. Cornelia, did you prepare for our Q and Slay today? I did. Where oh Where do you God. want to start? Amazing. Okay. Well, I I'll start, and I will just we can go around, and I would love to know what your favorite kill in this film is. There aren't a huge amount of kills, but there are a couple notable ones. Cornelia, why mm. don't you go first as our guest? Yes. Um, I think. I mean, obviously when she kills the TV repairman, I think just the orchestration of it all mm-hmm. is so satisfying because her boobs are out. She ends up covered in blood. There's plenty of, like, l- like there's enough of a struggle and there's enough, like, they changed the set dressings enough that, like, 
blood ends up all over the kitchen and then like oh my god billy shows up and you know they have to they're like weird embrace of like oh my god it's my birthday and my aunt just like (laughs) killed a man in our kitchen and uh just the like you know you're in for a treat when the movie starts and you get a lay of the land but that first kill that really gets the ball rolling you're like Mm -hmm. yes yes here we go here we go i'm home (laughs) there's a crucial kill absolutely okay i'm gonna say my favorite kill is shit it's hard to pick um do you want me to go first (laughs) yeah you go first okay then you know i need to make decisions my favorite kill is margie okay because (laughs) she is also just my favorite character in this film i'm fucking obsessed with her i think she is hilarious i want to be best friends with her thanks for the pickled tomatoes yeah she She says like she's on something i love when she is like hiding in cheryl's house and just like keeps pretending that she's leaving and she's like i'm gonna hide in the closet i'm like yes bitch fucking eavesdrop i love it it's so good but her death is great because she's finally after like hiding multiple times in the house like on her way out and you're like okay good she's gonna get away like i don't want my girl to die and then aunt cheryl comes out looking the most insane that she's looked the entire film it's very like mrs Voorhees coming oh but like reversed almost yeah she like emerges from underneath this like big willow tree and she has this machete and she's just like so scary and she fucking like just disembowels Margie with a slash and then later on when she's going after um Julie mm-hmm. she like stabs her in the leg and her it get like gets stuck in the poor woman's dead leg uh I just the visual of her emerging from the dark tree looking like a hunchback with disheveled cut hair is so good that even though the practical effects maybe of Margie getting killed isn't like that impressive I don't care the atmosphere is there the aesthetic is there I'm into it yeah it's also just like why do you have that machete yeah who'd you get that what were you doing with that (laughs) she just got it from the shed yeah yeah Yeah. she's a self-sufficient woman of course she has a machete you're right yeah i'm gonna say and this is one that we don't really get to see um is uh the pickled head Mm. just because the (laughs) whole time it's just like such a lead up because like we know that she pickles stuff. Listen to me. We know, it's so we know good. that she pickles stuff. Which once again, another perfect moment of like it all okay, coming yeah. full circle. Yeah. Um, but um she she keeps going in the basement and and every time she goes in there we get a little bit more. It's like, okay, she's talking to fucking somebody behind this wall. Okay, she's talking to like a shrine of her dead missing whatever ex-lover mm-hmm. then we get the shot of like and i remember literally the first time i watched this because it's the pickling basement that she's in i was like yo she, tell me the fuck she has the fucking boyfriend pickled in here or some shit and like nothing is happening nothing is happening then we see like the shriveled up like mummified almost like body on a cot and if you don't look close enough you wouldn't you would not realize that the head is not on it <laughs> so it's just like so when that happened the first time i was like okay she has the dead body in there still. That's that's neat. But I was hoping a little bit for some pickling. And then they have the fucking head, which why he's decapitated, no real reasoning. Um, but so he, no he just has his head pickled in a fucking jar. Like it's fucking Futurama or some shit. Um, oh my God, yeah. It's just the visual of that like dummy head in a fucking pickle jar is, 
is just that like next step of crazy <laughs> that you're like this can't go any nut more nuts and it does uh, it and I just, really love that it's such a small character trait that they sprinkle in throughout the film of like her giving pickled things to her friends and like what we see her carrying pickled like eggs and onions mm-hmm. and then there's like that scene of them eating dinner and she's just like shoveling pickled food <laughs> into her mouth like she looks so satisfied she's like oh yes and so i kind of just she like can't she loves vinegar <laughs> she so does much. and i was just kind of like that's just aunt cheryl she's kooky <laughs> but then for it to come back around as like um, an mo i fucking love it it's so funny it's so i good. think actually just like the whole thing about the pickling i mean the payoff is like super there which makes me think that there's just certain, like, elements that arise, and then they have, like, a really satisfying payoff, like, somewhere in the movie. And, like, even with the bat, even with the, the homophobic cop, when he is, like, questioning Billy in the driveway and is saying, like, you sure you're not gay? And then he gives him this, like, tip about shooting baskets, and it's like, stay real loose. Keep a limp wrist. And <laughs> he, like, does that. Like, it's a meme so now. Ridiculous. But I'm just like, this... Like, they knew what they were doing. Like, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's so a, I think it's a very thorough script. Personally, I think it's yes. all, I'm going to give them the credit. They, they planned it all. They executed it all. I'm into it. And just the way them advocating for gay characters pays off. I think Aunt Cheryl's penchant for, like, pickling things also, like, held up what with, like, that kimchi trend that was happening a few years ago and, you know that very portland oregon-esque like homemakery <laughs> type type hobbies i'm like yeah this this tracks <laughs> yeah um what's everybody's favorite line from the movie i wrote down a bunch of them okay i have one very specific one okay so Alex, I'll, go first. I'll go first it i mean the script is great there's a lot of really good lines in this film uh, there's a lot of good back and forth between characters but hands down i was watching it last night and i i watched it with subtitles so i could catch all the dialogue and i literally like it stopped me in my tracks and i paused it and i was like done that's it It, (laughs) no no nothing else and it was when it's pretty early on when billy comes home and tells aunt cheryl very excitedly like the coach thinks i could get a scholarship a basketball scholarship like he's gonna help me uh, and she says to him, oh, where is it? Um, college is for rich kids and people with brains. You wouldn't fit in there. <laughs> the fucking shade of being like, you're not smart enough to go to college. So it, rude. It, just her delivery <laughs> is so fucking funny because she's so nonchalant about it. She's like, college is for rich kids and people with brains. <laughs> oh, the ba- I love it. It's the love. kind of uh, It's like that fucking... Um... That Jennifer Coolidge line where she's like, you're not that pretty and you're not that smart or whatever the fuck it is from like uh, Cinderella story. Yeah. Because she doesn't mean it to be like a cunt, but that's absolutely how it comes across. I love it. Right. Hands down, best line in the movie, in my opinion. It's a good one. Cornelia? Um, I had had two. One of them is from that same scene when he immediately when he comes home and it just stood out to me because it felt like something I would say and it wouldn't make it's just weird to see 
lines like it in a movie but he comes to the door and she's like you're late she's like at the stove she's cooking dinner and she says you're late i'm fixing your favorite the meat sauce will never forgive you (laughs) (laughs) just like like i know what you mean but (laughs) do you know what you mean (laughs) right uh it just it's a good one (laughs) it made me laugh because i was like what but also like yeah Mine is, like, a a very quick and specific exchange. It's after the murder happens, and they're being interrogated by a homophobic cop, and he's kind of, like, I don't know if he's talking to Aunt Cheryl at this point, but he's, like, kind of, like, in the other room, and, like, Aunt Cheryl's sitting with Margie and her husband, and he's he keeps, like, obviously, like, harassing them, and Margie says something to him, essentially, like, why won't you leave them alone, or whatever, and he turns to her, and he goes... Are you talking to me, lady? And then Margie goes, very like matter. She's like, yes, with a smile. And then immediately goes, don't. Yeah. That's a great one. And it was just like telling, it, it just like was like so, like a brutal, like shut the fuck up. That like, I hate him and I love Margie, but like it was just like stone cold. And I was like, no, yeah, I fuck with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. So then I guess uh, my other favorite, I mean, besides the whole thing about like keep, your wrist keep it limp i was like damn okay um but at the the end when it's kind of boiled down to aunt cheryl and billy and billy knows now that she's his biological mother he's calling up he's like trying to call for help and she hits the receiver to hang up his call chokes him with the phone cord and says who are you talking to your girlfriend i'm your girlfriend now <laughs> yeah very and, nightmare um, on the street yeah very <laughs> nose but yeah i was just like i'm yes, your boyfriend yeah. now nancy yeah. <laughs> um, i'm your girlfriend <laughs> that reminds me uh, i did write one other down that i just thought felt so weird which is when the cop was interrogating them after the murder happens and he's like trying to go over what happened again and he just says so, you said he touched your boobie. And I was just like, could you imagine a police officer uh, yeah. being like, so, he touched your boobie? Like, <laughs> no. What are you talking about? So his hands were all up on your titties? <laughs> Do I have that right on the record? This will be filed. <laughs> In my yeah. Unfortunately, that's like mercy. the least problematic thing he said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something else that Cornelia made me think of with the I'm your girlfriend <laughs> is something else I kept thinking about the whole time when I was watching this. Is I don't know if either of you ever watched um, Chowder, the animated series. No. Um, I know what it is. but I It's a favorite know. of mine. But, like, there's a whole bit in it where, like, um, Panini, this other, like, apprentice that is in the town with Chowder, she's, like, in love with him. And she's just, like, declared from, like, episode, like, one or whatever that, like, Chowder's her boyfriend. But he, like, wants nothing to do with her. And no matter how much he fights it, she's like, this is my boyfriend, Chowder. And there's one whole episode dedicated to it in which at one point he, like, hires, like, a fucking, like, concert performer whatever to, like, put on this whole performance of this song in which the whole song is just, like, I'm not your boyfriend. I'm not your boyfriend. I'm not your boyfriend. Which I just feel like is the dynamic here for most of the film. It's too bad that that couldn't have been in the soundtrack. Yeah. So yeah. Shall we move on to our third question? Yeah, our, our last uh, set question is just, who's your partner in crime in this film? Who would you want to be allies with and work alongside? I mean, I think mine is very obvious, but I will go last. So my... 
my I mean there's I think there's a few like very good options. I am just gonna go with Julie, the girlfriend. Um I just like her character and especially her role in the movie because um just I think she genuinely cares about Billy. I like the inversion that she's the one that is going off to college and he's the one that wants to follow her. Like I like that she's very supportive, but she's clearly taking care of her own shit. And even though I like how she owns her sexuality in a way, she's she's very much like, you know, if you want to tell me something, like you can, but I do I like um I think she uses the phrase making love. That's not me who's who would say, why don't we make love more often? But she's like, yes, good for her. Aunt Cheryl only refers to her as a slut. And um, uh, I know to Aunt Cheryl, that's a, you know, that's a condemnation. But she still lives. And um, I'm I, I like that she's she's in the mix. Yeah, she's a strong woman. I like her. Yeah. Anya? Um, mine's probably going to be the same as yours, Alex. Um, okay. I'm absolutely picking Margie. Um, <laughs> for numerous, I mean, obviously she's just, she's a laugh and a half. I love her. Um, I feel like she is like the perfect friend to have. She'd be the person, who, listen, like I'm not going to partner in crime with her where like we're both going to go into Cheryl's house and hide in the closet. Cause bitch, I am trying to, I'm not trying to die. But in my <laughs> perfect world, she did all that. She, like, knows the fucking goss of all fucking goss. She's going to sneak out, live this time, and then she gets on the phone with me, her bestie, and she's like, oh, my God, you will never believe what I heard about Cheryl. And I'm like, bitch, what the fuck do you know? Like, we are having, oh, my God, a gab on the fucking phone about this one. And I'm like, you know what? Shut up. I'm coming over. And then we're I'm at her house. Oh, my God, yes. But I also think just in general she's just such a great character because, like, at every turn, like, yes, she's, like, goofy and lovable, but also, like, she's a genuinely, like, nice, caring woman. I mean, like, she's a good friend to Aunt Cheryl. She's there to, I mean, yes, she was, like, she happened to stumble in because for the birthday party, so she has to be there for the interrogation, but she's, like, supporting Aunt Cheryl the whole way. Like, you know, yelling back at the cop, like, this, my friend was just, like, raped. Like, why are you, like, doing this to her? Um, but then, even when she shows up, right before the scene where like Billy takes the sip of milk and like fucking hits the deck um she at this moment we can see like she, well first of all she comes in and she's so nice to Aunt Cheryl who's yeah. like on on one because she's just <laughs> cut her hair and she's like oh my god you look great and it doesn't feel fake it feels like oh my god girl you're crazy like but I love that about you um but then when she clicks that like something is wrong and she knows that Billy still a child like is there under her care like, I remember, like, there's a moment where, like, he he's like, Aunt Cheryl, what'd you do to your hair? And she, like, looks at him, like, don't say anything. <laughs> like, she's clearly trying to help him. And then, yeah, after they even put him to bed, that's the whole sequence of her being, like, she does not want to leave because she doesn't feel like it's safe for him here. So, like, she's a very wonderful, caring woman. It's just so unfortunate that she has to get fucking gutted. Yeah, I wish that she didn't have to go. She is absolutely my fa- my partner in crime. Um because, and I think it's very fitting that you chose her too, because I do feel in a lot of ways that I am Margie. I feel like when I'm older, that is the woman I will be because <laughs> I am the gossip. I know everybody's business. I love to tell my best friends everybody's business. Um, and, you know, I will support their shitty haircuts if they love it. And I will probably 
be rolling my eyes at my husband beeping in the car and telling him to say nice things to my friend or if you say anything <laughs> i shut the fuck up like she's just so fucking cool oh she didn't deserve it justice if you didn't for like her pickled tomatoes don't say anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be mean to my friend she has a hobby and i support her <laughs> icon love margie rip margie yeah she deserved better uh, all right. <sighs> all right. Well, now it's time for the Q and Slay portion in which we have each individually brought our own question that nobody else knows what it is yet. Um, so does anybody feel inclined to start? Do they want to throw out their question first? Um, I want to know what homespun method would you use to preserve your now deceased lover? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Let me ruminate on that for a second. <laughs> Okay, I think I would probably do something similar to pickling in terms of, like, it being food-based. Mm-hmm. But I would probably do it in some kind of, like, I don't know. I feel like I would freeze the body for a while, probably. Mm-hmm. And then maybe mm-hmm. make, like, a chocolate mold out of it. And Ooh. then and then do something in, in that form, baking-related. Wow, I don't wow. really know how that would scientifically work, but I would make it work. Love that. Thank you. I would do taxidermy. Yes, you fucking yeah. would. I don't, oh, I don't want to hear about I love that she's like, of course you would fucking do that. Yeah, because she's been <laughs> sending me a photo of a taxidermy cat for like, oh, I'm familiar. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm Cornelia looking at it. I was like, I've been sending this to everyone. I'm making them look at it. It's wonderful. It. I love it. Um, what would you do, Cornelia? Yeah. Oh, Anya, it's just taxidermy? Oh, did you want me to elaborate? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I want you to have the opportunity <laughs> um, if you wanted to. I feel like, yeah, because there's just so much I could do. I could, like, you know, just kind of cut off the head and just do, like, a deer mounted on the wall, like, above mm. the fireplace. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. my beautiful lover. Um, the image that I have in my head right now, y'all, foul. <laughs> foul. Um, or if I wanted to do a full body, it's like I could stand him up somewhere, put him in different... Oh, my God. You know those people that, like, they buy, like, the skeletons? Um, not... I'm not talking about the fucking, like, you know, five or, like, fucking ten-foot skeletons. I'm talking about the normal size skeletons. But they, like, for different holidays, they put them on their front lawn and they dress them up doing different shit. I would do that with my taxidermy husband, but, like, put him in different shit. So then the kid's going by on the school bus, like, they can see him. <laughs> and I just think that, like, uh, that would be, like, quirky and fun of me. So that that would be my preservation preference. I love that. <laughs> that really checks out. Things but. I'm bringing to a marriage: a promise of taxidermy post mortem. <laughs> I will taxidermy you in the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, you'll, you'll never leave me. Um, yeah, I think a, a maybe an extension of that, maybe some sort of like quilting project or like a body pillow type of thing mm. with um, a skin. With skin, with stuffing, I I think less like f- a little less decorative. I would like some purpose to it, like a weighted blanket situation where it's just like it's like he never left or they yeah. never left. Whoever it is, um, God, we are such innovators. <laughs> Good for us. This <laughs> woman needed needed the Pinterest and the I don't know. I I just don't think the McCalls catalog was cutting it for this woman in terms no. of like staying busy <laughs> no so she took up pickling she took up pickling in every and... possible she pickles everything everything 
Love it. Love her. <sighs> I saw myself a lot in Aunt Cheryl. I mean, not <laughs> not in every way, but in a lot of ways. I was like, yeah. I can really w- work in this headspace that this woman occupies. And that's why I asked you to be on. Because I saw her, I saw you and her as well. Yeah, yeah. My girl Susan really commits, and um, and she's not, she's not afraid to get just like be spooky and be mm-hmm. a little freaky. Yeah, and I love that. Me too. My question for the group is: if there was a remake today, which I don't think any of us are hoping for, but you know, it's. You never know in this crazy world. Who do you either, I guess you could take it either way you would like. Who do you think could play a good Aunt Cheryl today? And or who would you really love to see attempt play an Aunt Cheryl today? That's a good question. I gotta do a Rolodex of actresses in my brain. Yeah, so it's either someone, I guess, like, even if you don't, they don't have any chops that would prove that they could do an Aunt Cheryl, maybe someone you would want to see taking a shot at it. I got it. I know okay. who I want. She's a um, little. She's older than the character I think is supposed to be, um, but I don't care. So I'm gonna go with my favorite actress of all time because I think she has range, and that's Julianne Moore. Well, oh, I would love. Well, to she kind of did it a little bit with off. the Carrie remake, and um, true. And she has done incest in the past. She does a movie with Eddie Redmayne where he's her son, but she's also oh. in love with him. I can't remember what it's called. It's it's not Savages, but it's something like that. I'm going to look it up just so cool. it doesn't bother me when I read yeah, she is, this. She is someone who, like, I have a very strange obsession with her. Like, I simultaneously think she's the coolest woman alive, also want to be her, and also want to, like, be with her. But also she's, like someone I admire as, like, an older mother figure. Mm-hmm. I just think she's fucking incredible. She could go batshit, full speed, the whole time. Julianne, all day. Savage, Savage Grace, by the way, is the Savage movie Grace. where she she does an incest. Not a Doesn't great movie, incest. but she does, she does an incest. She does an incest. Well, then she has it on her resume already. I say she'd be a great person to That's go with. That's such a good call. Anya, oh, my turn first. Yes. Um, oh, I mean, I'm going to probably think of, like, nine other options that excite me after, you know, we hang up this this conversation. But the one that came to mind first was Katya Zamolachkova. <laughs> Alex is losing it. Yekaterina Petrovna Zamolachkova? I think if we just kind of, like, committed to the camp element, oh, I just... My God. I, I see it for her because also Katya is somebody that I see within myself, um, and yeah. I don't I don't know what other undertones that would add if you have a drag queen playing this like insane camp like campy mom character, but um, I can at least picture it. I like see it, and I you know, want her version of it. Even though I just said Julianne Moore, I would like to just put all my eggs into your Katya basket because <laughs> Katya is aside from Sharon Neal's is my favorite drag queen I'm obsessed with Katya I talk I about her Katia. like an obscene amount and she yeah she would be perfect it's like made for her yeah Katya you okay, win great yeah. Anya try topping that you won't <laughs> she's gonna say Joey King <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not gonna top that at all I, I will not say. Actually, wait a minute. Wait Uh-oh. a minute now. Um, 
I think Miss Joey King could do it because think about it. She kind of went to some places in the act and debatably scarier places in the kissing booth three. <laughs> um, but that was, that was, that was, that was not my answer. I was going to say someone I brought up earlier, um, which was Jennifer Coolidge, just because um, I think she has done before at least like the kind of like ridiculous over the top, like, mother figure who isn't really a great mother the thing is I don't know and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong I personally don't know that I've seen her in anything in which she's doing like the bat shit like wide-eyed I'm like fuck machete you know Mm -hmm. from the fucking woods moment but I would love to see her try it um and I feel like she's having a moment right now because of White Lotus like she is people are talking about her as they should um so yeah I mean the household that I live in, thankfully, uh, big Jennifer Coolidge stands. So I feel like, yeah, I would love to see a Jennifer Coolidge, you know, horror moment. Mm. I'm on, I'm into that. That's a good choice, too. Yeah. Wow. I could also see her playing into, like, the more desperate aspects of Aunt yes. Cheryl's psyche. I, could, I can absolutely see it. All right. My question was... Let's see. Well, Susan Terrell's performance, as we have talked about throughout this episode, is, in my opinion, deeply underappreciated and just gung-ho the whole time. What is one of your favorite no-holds-bar female horror performances aside from this? Oh, my goodness. Do you mean, like, does it? are you talking about just, like, going psycho? Just, like, any female lead or character in a horror film that, like, really is just full speed ahead cuckoo i mean i can go first to give you an example if you'd like um i think i have a, at least one answer i don't know if i would say it was like my top one i feel like i would need more just time like a performance really that you think that. they gave it everything they had and maybe Fuck. was not appreciated enough or respected enough because it was in the horror genre um, let me type something in here okay i have a couple ideas one of them is more more relevant to <laughs> to horror but you can give multiple answers. We got. I love to appreciate women. Well, my first, the first one that came to mind I mean, was yeah, Isabel um, Adjani in Possession. Um, mm. That's yeah, Adjani. Um, her going insane in the subway uh, scene, I think, is kind of iconic in its own way, and I. If I remember, I hope I've only seen that movie like maybe twice because it's mm-hmm. just one that you cannot <laughs> rewatch. Um, but that's not, I wouldn't project as much nuance onto that one as I would Cheryl's um, or Susan's. My second answer would be, and this isn't quite a horror movie, but depending on how you view it, I think it might count, is Charlize Theron in Young Adult. Ooh, okay. Just because, I mean, that's one of my absolute favorite performances in film in general. But I think she's almost in Susan's camp because Charlize Theron plays this, like, high school hellcat who grew up into, like, kind of a, like, a real washed up but still very hot 37-year-old who in her head is still a high school mean girl. And when she returns home to her hometown to, like, stir shit up the way she did when she was 17 and just like the kind of 
Like, this woman is delusional. <laughs> but the way that she, it, like, tiptoes horror, it tiptoes humor, it tiptoes, like, this woman's unwell, but she's mm-hmm. also, like, very alluring, but also, like, a psycho. It's it's brilliant. I love that movie. I've only seen it once, but I really enjoyed it. I should check it out again. I do remember her performance being really, really good. It's a bit of a sleeper, but I it's one of those movies I'll throw on if I'm having just, like, I want to watch a movie at 11 a.m. And every time I watch it, it's, like, there's something else that sticks out to me mm. about how, like, brilliant I think it is. Hell yeah. Anya, did you come up with anything? I have a few as well. Um, okay. So one is, um, I'm gonna, I have to look at these names here. Um, the actress's name is, um, Shauna McDonald, um, who plays Sarah in The Descent. Um, I just feel like that performance is so fun just because like, in, just in the context of like, go, everything that happens in that movie, um, you know, going down there in the dark, trapped in this cave, these cannibal creatures things. Like, already just, like, the final girl battle she has to go through. But the realization that her fucking bitch-ass friend Juno, who got them into this fucking mess in the first place, was, like, having an affair with her husband, who is now dead. Um, Like, and then that, like, final moment, essentially, of just, like, leaving her there to die, is just, like, so... Oh my god, it's just like, you could take it one way being like, wow, that's like so cruel and fucked up, but it's just like, I don't know, something about it every time, I'm just like, that's tasty as fuck, like, I love that (laughs) shit. Um, Another one that I feel like is an obvious one, not a bad answer, uh, is obviously Toni Collette in Hereditary, that's obviously a really good one, and then I'll say one more, I know I would love you to answer Alex, and I don't want to take every fucking answer, now that there's not a million fucking movies and answers, (laughs) but, um... This actress, once again, forgive me if I pronounce her name wrong, uh, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, who plays the lead in Revenge, um, Jennifer. That movie as a whole, we I don't know if we've talked about it on here. It was one of your Shudder picks one month on our Twitter. But we both love that movie. Um, there aren't a lot of rape revenge movies that I enjoy because as we've talked about on here obviously not that anyone's a fan of it but like I particularly do not enjoy seeing rape on film um but yeah I just think that movie in general is so fucking good and she gives everything to that performance like she goes to fucking Mm -hmm. hell and back so I would say that is my third and final answer hell yeah good choices guys um you did take two of my three which is fine because I have a third. Um, but I agree. Tony Collette, I think, is the obvious choice because she, it, not that not that Tony Collette wasn't appreciated for her role in that film, but like I personally think she should have gotten a fucking nomination because I think it was a, as a drama performance, it was just incredible. And I think because it was a horror film, it's valued a little bit less, but. Tony Collette goes all ranges in that movie. It's incredible. And uh, Revenge was another one because I do love that film. This is what happens when we have too many horror movies that we always watch and talk <laughs> about together. Um, she is great in that movie. But my other option uh, is just a classic performance from my childhood that I've always been obsessed with, which is Feruza Balk in The Craft. Yes. Oh my yes. God, how the fuck she did I not so... think of that? Nancy is so... 
Nancy just has so many different levels. Mm-hmm. And by the end, when she's screaming at Sarah, and she's, you know, and at the very end when she's saying she's flying, like, I just think that Feruza goes off. And, like, nobody else could have done that role the way that Feruza did it. Totally. She deserves all of the appreciation and love. I love the craft. Not that the other three are not also excellent, but Feruza's just she slightly shines. on another no, level. The, uh, mm-hmm. the moment when she's in the bedroom at the party and she literally says um jealous mm. jealous you don't even exist <laughs> to me has like when i saw it the first time changed changed as a woman forever <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah she was really my uh style icon that's an excellent answer i can't Love believe it. i didn't think of that um there's too there's many. Too, it's always one of those things where someone comes amazing. up to you and they're like, you could just finish watching a thousand horror movies. And they're like, okay, so what was your favorite one? And instantly you're like, I don't remember yeah. a single movie I've ever watched in my whole life. Like, it's always going to get asked on the <laughs> yeah. spot about something that you know a lot about. You just, like, can't come up with anything. But, wow, what a, what a fun, productive cue and slay this has been. <laughs> We covered a lot. Human tax. We've learned a lot. We've grown a <laughs> Katya. lot. <laughs> Pickling. Love. All right. Well, <laughs> to, to wrap this up, um, as we said prior, um, the the movie is streaming on Shudder if anyone would like to watch it. And as we said, I mean, if you've gotten this far and you haven't watched it, I would hope that everything that we've been saying has made you so desperate to see it now. Um, but yeah. oh, my God. I almost forgot. Hello. Um, we have to rate it. Yeah. Every time I forget. Every final time. girl. I'm going straight. You're giving it a final girl? Hell yeah. I'll fucking say it. Epic. Yeah. Epic. Oh, Alex. <laughs> um, I love that very much. I'm going to give it a boy next door. Four stars. Um, I don't really have any issues with it that would take that star away. But I also, I think... Maybe the third act could be a little bit tighter, and that would be the only reason I don't give it five stars. So, But it's a solid four stars. I love this movie. I will watch it as many times as anybody wants to watch it. I will show it to everybody that I can ever think of. It's great. Highly recommend. Yeah, I definitely had a greater appreciation for it on this second watch that I did. Um, so I will also be giving it Solid Boy Next Door. Cool. That's yeah. a really good rating across the board. I think that might be our highest... Woo. Our highest collective rating. I just think yeah. it covers. Yeah, it, for me, it just kind of covers like a Buck Wild performance by a really underappreciated character actress. The incest twist, the beautiful house. Yeah, the, the social commentary. It's yeah. I, There's so it's, much. It's a lot to. Uh, it's fun to watch and it's fun to talk about, which I feel like is kind of hard to find in mm-hmm. a in some some movies. Um, yeah there's a lot think, to pull apart yeah i think it's a, a film that if you wanted to like critically look at there's a lot to unpack but that's also at the same time a movie that you could kind of just shut your brain off and have a lot of fun with which yeah. is rare to find that combination in a film and i appreciate it yes good stuff yeah that was butcher baker nightmare maker um Obviously, we had an incredible guest on this episode, Cornelia, um, who we are so grateful for. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to have you back because it was such a delight to have Yay. you here today. Um, is there anything you would like to plug of your own? Um, let's see. 
Not... I have a podcast. It's on hiatus at the moment, but it's called Love Portions. You can find it in a lot of different places. Um, a friend of mine last year and I were cooking um, erotic recipes from a cookbook from the 70s that I have uh, and, you know, sussing out which ones were actually sexy. So uh, we're not putting out new episodes these days, but there is a back catalog um, and I'm on Twitter. <laughs> If you want my... You need to tell them what your Twitter is. Uh, oh, don't find me. I'll find you. <laughs> I'm, amazing. I'm just I love kidding. That. I love it's that. at Human Corduroy. Much like all the corduroy pants in this movie that I loved. <laughs> yes. So much for... Obvi- it's so obvious it would be a final girl for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. too much for you to love. There's, yes. Um, <laughs> it had everything to give. <laughs> and you took I it all. I loved it. Loved it. Um, Thank you so much for having me on for this one. <laughs> Yes, we're so happy. This has been so fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for this month, folks. So you know the drill. As always, keep it creepy. Bye. 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 <laughs> Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, first and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at RB Lowell. Uh, who else, Alex? Uh, we would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our lovely friend Nathan Graham, who made our beautiful introduction music, um, and he sings the Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, you can follow him at yes. Instant underscore grand like his name um and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend jonah uh called the commonwealth yes all good spooky content and of course if you can't get enough of us we're on social media too make sure to follow us on instagram at the girls who cried be horror on twitter at girls who cried bh and if you really want to write us a whole novella baby you can send us an email at the girls who cried be horror at gmail.com we always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight uh and if you want to follow us individually on social media you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G-Way Forever. That is G-E-E-W-A-Y, number four, and then ever on Instagram, at agarity15 on Twitter, and uh, on Garrity on Letterboxd if you really want my uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, yes. at Alex Brandley. Because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Bradley. She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, but that's all we have for now. So we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The girls who cried be horror.